Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I know you are here wanting to change and rewrite your story. You are desiring to step into the impact that you know you were here to create. I am here to guide you with the proven tools and strategies used by myself and our speakers to support you in taking radical responsibility in your life and learning how to own your choices to change your story. My name is Marsha Van Weinsberg. I am a storytelling business coach, master NLP trainer, speaker, podcaster, and seven times published author. My clients have found freedom and purpose from overcoming their shame stories and learning how to share them with the world. I am so grateful you are here. Let's get started. Welcome back to the show. I have a unique treat for you today, and I have been a guest on a number of podcast episodes, but this one I knew I wanted to reshare on the show because it was with my friend, Jess DeMarcus, and we dove into all things NLP on her show. Her show is called The Art and Skill of Coaching. And I knew I wanted to share it because we dove into the conversation of why NLP, why the coaching industry requires more standardization, especially when dealing with people's traumatic stories and experiences. Just went deep into my story that led to NLP, why I felt called to it, and why I knew building a certification program was my next step, even when it didn't make any logical sense at the time. In this episode, we talk all about that you can do the work, right? I was great at doing the work. I would check the boxes and do the work. But I was lacking a lot of results and probably a peace of mind and calmness in my life because I wasn't going deep enough. I was not going deep enough into the work. And I found myself in the hospital bed back in 2020 before I discovered the modality that I would then know as NLP. And it changed my life in a lot of ways. It changed my life and my health. Still always a work in progress, but this is where it started from. So I wanted to share this episode with you because I believe that if you were somebody who was looking for a coach or a mentor, please do your research, especially if you are somebody who is looking to change a story, like change a limiting belief story, not sugarcoat it, not paint it, but actually change it and create long lasting effortless change. You want to hear the depth of the conversation that we have here because we're very much on the same page and Jess runs her own program, her own coaching program that is in the works of becoming a certification. And I'm so proud of her for doing this. We need more and more of this in this space. So I am so grateful to share this episode with you. Awesome, guys. Hey, and welcome to the Art and Skill of Coaching podcast. Um, I've been loving these interviews with coaches that I admire and respect, and I hope you have too. We are celebrating 100 episodes on this podcast, and we are bringing on guests for the first time to share their story, their experiences, and their journey into the coaching industry, because hopefully by now you can tell, one, it's not linear, and two, it is not like super specific and one size fits all. There's a lot of variety and a lot of different trajectories, offerings, and styles. And I think that's a good thing. And today's guest, I have a treat for y'all. <laughs> um, she is tuning in from Canada and her name is Marsha Van Weinsberg. Um, and let me tell you guys, she's a published author. She has a super successful podcast. She is an NLP coaching certification. I will attach 
all the links so you guys can go stalk her and get the goods. Um, but I'm super excited to dive into how she got here and what her journey was like. It's super special. It's super unique. And I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. So welcome, Marsha. I'm super excited to like vibe out with you today. <laughs> Me too. So am I. I'm so grateful to be here. Yay. Okay. So we were talking before we hit record on how you actually got introduced to not only NLP, but just like coaching in general. And it was probably not what people would anticipate. It wasn't a podcast. It wasn't a book. It was actually a pretty significant experience. Do you mind sharing a little bit about like your introduction into this space? Not at all. Um, thank you so much for asking. I would say one little tiny step before that is about 10 years ago, we were stuck in a story where we were dealing with teen substance abuse. My mindset wasn't great. I was frustrated with life. I was feeling like the victim. And I stumbled across Tony Robbins' work probably 10, 12 years ago. And not knowing that that was NLP, I didn't know that. I really started to understand the power of my words. And why did I feel stuck? Because stuck was the only word I ever said. That's literally the only word I ever said. I'm stuck, I'm stuck, I'm stuck. And I started to understand the power of our words. As I worked through time of learning how to share that story and put work out there, I didn't realize until many years later that I was doing all the work consciously, but not subconsciously. And so in 2020, I was prepping for a back surgery that I didn't know I was going to have to have during the pandemic. And it was a complete spine rebuild. So it was pretty invasive. And during that time, my dear friend Sue was doing work on me. She was doing a lot of myofascial work. And she said at one point, everybody holds a story. And we both stopped and went, I, that is something, but I don't know what yet. Just write that down and remember it. Eventually, like we went on to lead a collaborative book together and start a podcast because we do believe the bodies hold on to trauma. And that was a moment for me right then I found myself going in for back surgery. And I was like, oh my gosh, Marsha, you have been consciously pushing through in order to change this story, thinking it's about more action, more action, when that's not the only story. I had lots of body stories. But I, my body had held on to a lot of trauma and I didn't know how to release it. And during that time, I was in the hospital for five days. I had many very serious reactions and complications. At one point, almost did not make it. And NLP crossed my path while I was in the hospital bed. And I used to think of NLP as sales, right? Learning how to sell. That's, I think, how it was marketed for a long time. And when I started to look at it, it was about healing and releasing trapped, stuck emotions and what your body's held on to. And I had this clear voice that was like, this is for you and you need to do this. This is not for your business. This is for you. You're literally having to learn how to walk again. And so that started my process of taking my NLP practitioners, which led to my masters and then to trainers eventually because I loved the work and I realized it was actually something I'd been missing all along. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. And I just want to highlight a couple things that you said. There's a difference between cognitively working on something and actually subconsciously like working through it, healing and being able to manage and cope and live a fulfilling, meaningful, healthy life. And I do believe NLP is a really great technique to do so. You're right. When I heard of it initially, it was like the con artist technique. Yep. A lot of politicians used it. and Our salesmen. Sorry. Yes. Yes. Um, but when I got trained in it, and the reason I wanted to get trained in it, even after I was a therapist, is I saw the value 
of it. And um, I think there's a lot of really beautiful techniques to be used with care, which we're going to talk about because they are very powerful. Um, but did this happen when you were like 18 and like you found your life's purpose like very early on or was it like a massive life pivot later on? Because I think sometimes people are like, oh my God, must be nice. And it's like, wait a second. Like none of us were born growing up saying we wanted to be a life coach. This industry is only 30 years old. So what was that like for you to kind of acknowledge that at that point in your life and be like, wait a second, do I want to do this? Am I ready? What does this pivot look like? Oh, I think it was my entire life was about pivot that year. Like I had a 27 years of registered kinesiologist. I, it was gone overnight, never came back, did not come back for months. And by the time it was ready to come back, I was in the hospital. So it was like not meant to be. And so there was already one pivot. I had pivoted from, you know, still working with clients, even a few years before that to, you know, starting to dabble in coaching and writing my solo book and starting a podcast. So I knew there was something coming. I kept feeling like there was something coming and the work I had been doing for so long wasn't going to be my forever work. I just didn't know what that transition was going to look like. It literally came in the form of a pandemic and it was gone. And so that was another pivot. And there was a lot of pivots that happened there. But exactly what you're saying, honestly, Jessica, I like I was 50 when this happened. People say to me all the time, I can't tell you how many clients say to me in their 30s, like, well, I'm 30. I should have this figured out by now. I'm like, who told you that? Because like, where did you read it? And who told you that? Because it's not true. It's a story you're telling yourself. Do I have moments where I feel like, oh my gosh, I should have this figured out now because I'm 53 now. And I do have a lot of things figured out and I'm still always evolving and growing. So there is no timeline of when you can learn and create change in your life. There's no timeline unless you decide that there is one. If you decide that there is one, then you're right. You're, you're right. And we don't even have to figure it out. So you get to decide that. Um, but I can tell you now, the tools I've learned in the last three years, I wish I had learned them 30 years ago. And would I have been open to learning them then? Who knows? Like maybe I learned them in the exact right time. But I do wish that I had learned them and I will speak very strongly in the value of them. And exactly what you said earlier, there's such a difference. Like I had consciously done so much work and I would still have reactions. I would still have like the outbursts. I would still have the like the kind of energy exertion where it exhausts you. And it's like, why are they behaving this way? Until you have the moments of doing that work and healing and then you find yourself in the same situation. You see somebody behave a certain way and you're like, that's interesting. I That's not mine to hold. That's not mine to fix. That's not mine to carry. And when you start to change your behavior and then other people are like, "Why? Are, what's wrong with you? Why are you not, et cetera? You start to have the moment of like, I am changing. I am changing. And it feels good to not waste all this energy on something that I don't need to. That's the healing work. And I think we're forever on that curve. I agree with you. I always tell people I am my best client. Like I literally am a walking billboard for what coaching can do for mm. someone's life. Um, and I very much believe and understand and I'm okay with the fact that I'm still very much early on in my journey. That's not a problem. I'm committed to this work. But something that you said that I think is really important is awareness is not enough to change. No. Right. And um, what do you do with that awareness? Do you have the skills to create a corrective experience where now your brain has a new reference point or a new baseline? And I think that's where sometimes and I don't want to like 
part of my language, shit where I sleep. But like the coaching industry gets a little messy, right? Where there are these intangibles of being a great coach, such as holding space and being supportive and being curious and asking good questions and helping people build awareness. But there's this tangible piece, I think, that unfortunately isn't regulated or standardized where what do we do with that then? How do we, again, move from I understand what's happening, I cognitively get it, I'm quote unquote doing the work, I'm learning, but I'm not healing. I'm not breaking through. I'm not actually changing my behavior, my reactions. Like, And I think that's what you're kind of talking about in terms of how NLP has really kind of plugged that leak for you. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, What do you think are the intangibles, but the tangible pieces of being a great coach? Oh, there's so much that you've said there. I think one of the first things that I want to say is I agree with you in the sense that awareness is like nothing can happen without awareness. But without the tools and the toolbox to support you. What happens with the average human, and I can say this with full certainty and I lived it, is without the tools, we have awareness, then we have shame, judgment, criticism of ourselves for why am I here again? Why am I here? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? This is ridiculous. I should be further. And then there goes the loop, right? There goes the loop again. So we're not interrupting that. Awareness is there. You have to build that toolbox to be able to see it from a neutral space and recognize like one of the biggest things I really understood with NLP in the beginning is I'm not broken. I'm not broken. My body, my subconscious mind has learned how to navigate so much physical, emotional trauma. It did its job. That's actually what it was built to do. So wait, I'm not broken? Oh my gosh. Well, that now all of a sudden it's like we come from a different lens and we can start to respond differently. So I think that's what I just want to add that is I think that's the first thing is that there's no you awareness is great, but if you don't have tools to go with that, it's you're going to just keep hitting the same wall over and over. I think that that combined with the coaching industry and so many people who've had to pivot in the last couple of years into being online, building a business online. Can we just say there's a lot of marketing that happens in the coaching industry? I think we actually have to, I think we have to say this. There's a lot of marketing in the coaching industry and the coaches that are winning, I'm not saying they don't have the skills or the tools. I'm not. The person who can market the best is going to win for sure. Because there's also this piece that if you are building and starting over, you look for who's winning. Who's doing it right? Who can I learn from? And all of a sudden, you're investing in like five, seven, 10 programs to try and figure out how to grow your business. I did that in 2020. I, that I 100% never stopping to go inward, never stopping to ask, what do I need? Never stopping to understand what are my values? Who do I align with? And who do I connect with? Because right now, those are the questions I ask myself every time. I look at it and go, okay, I love what they're doing. Do I need that in my business? Is that something I don't know how to do? Is that something that can help me with growing my business? And is that somebody I actually value? And I love how they live their life, how they show up. Okay, great. Those are the questions I ask myself. So it's a discernment that I think that when you learn how to heal that relationship with yourself, you will get better at asking those questions and listening and responding in a way. That also means not shaming yourself for all the decisions that you've made in the past. Because boy, do I wish I could have gone back and made some different coaching decisions. I mean, I can't imagine what money I have, but regardless, it's I had to do that in order to build the discernment. So I think that's another piece of it that's missing in the industry. 
Yeah. So what you're talking about, something we talked about before we hit record, that there's a difference between being a coach and being an entrepreneur. In our industry right now, you need both. And it's important to invest in both and get that type of support. But I think what's happening is because people are focused more on the bottom line and building a business that they're willing to invest in that type of support and they're neglecting investing in their skill set, in their practice and in their ability to actually coach, which requires skill. You can't listen to a podcast or read a book and be a good coach. It's like becoming a nurse. Like, I'm sorry, if you've never pricked a live person and have only read a text, don't touch me. I I could not agree more. And I I really deep down believe that we all have skill set from what we've walked through that we can learn how to use those tools. Like, because we all have, I always say you're always perfectly designed to help the person that you once were. If you don't know how to communicate that, share it in an effective, safe way, then no. And I think that we're all living those experiences to do something with it. Like, there's no manual that prepped me for dealing with teen substance abuse and figuring out how to navigate a really difficult situation. I could have had an entire bookshelf full of books, which would have been great. But if you don't learn how to embody those skills and actually put them into practice and walk yourself through difficult times, the books are useless. They're they're useless. Sorry, podcasts are useless. Like those are tools that are going to support you. You will learn by embodying it. How do you embody it? You actually have to do the healing with yourself and actually put those tools into practice in your life first. Yeah. Even if you're coaching, if you can't lead yourself, coach yourself through difficult times, I'm sorry. I please don't take on clients. Please don't. Mm -hmm. I think what you're talking about is a difference between like knowing something and doing something, which is so simple and people are probably rolling their eyes. But I challenge you, look in the mirror and ask yourself, okay, I know this, but am I doing it? Do I take deep breaths to regulate myself? Do I journal? Do I meditate? Do I practice mindfulness? Do I have integrity with my tongue and like am mindful what I say? Like, am I learning about and building compassion towards my trauma? Like, are you doing those things? And a lot of times clients get really frustrated with me in the beginning of our coaching, the first few sessions, because I work with high achievers and they come in and like, I'm ready to go. Tell me what to do. Tell me what I need to know. Help me crack the code. You're the expert. And we actually spend the first few sessions peeling back, understanding, like you said, what is the underlying story, how it was adaptive, building compassion, and then taking time to unlearn it, build awareness, and then make different choices moving forward versus just acting in alignment with that baseline conditioned impulse. And people get really frustrated with that process, but it's the only way that works sustainably. I can tell you what to do. You can change your behavior and change your result. High five. But you're going to be calling me again in six months. That's where self-sabotage comes in. Because because if you haven't, again, embodied that to be able to hold that growth, right? I want to have my six-figure year. I want to have that six-figure year. You have a six-figure year, but you did not grow and expand as a person to be able to hold that, to be able to make the highs and lows not mean something about you you will never sustain it. It's, I mean, I laugh when I, I am laughing because I think of you and high achievers. That was me for the longest time. I still have that in me, 100%. But the high achievers, like, tell me what's next and what do I have to do next? And you want me to slow down and go inward and do work on myself? It's like, ew, no, I don't want to do that. That's like going to take forever. 
It took me being in a hospital bed, trying to figure out how to walk again, to have a really serious talk with myself and say, Marsha, your way isn't working. And it's okay. Like your skills, I really believe that our strengths, they do so much for us and they take us so far and then they won't. And so mine were the high achiever who pushed hard, that conscious activity, the action. You want me to work? I'll do 10 times the work. I can do it. That wasn't the problem. Those strengths took me so far. But then when I'm laying in a hospital bed trying to figure out how to walk, trying to figure out how to heal, I don't need that. I need some more compassion and support for myself. I had to unlearn in order to learn differently, in order to move forward. Because those skills that I had, again, valuable, I wasn't shaming myself, but they weren't going to take me any further forward. In fact, they were going to be the demise. They were they were becoming the demise of me. Yeah. So what you're talking about is like maladaptive. It was adaptive at one point, but it becomes maladaptive. But we never pause, Marsha, to like evaluate what is the story that I'm operating out of? Is it actually adaptive? Is it sustainable? Is it helpful? Is it fucking relevant. I'm sorry, but like a lot I of us are operating. Yeah, like a lot of us are operating out of decisions and beliefs and mindsets and stories that we created when we were adolescents, when we were children that are rooted in a lot of times trauma. And I'm going to go there because I know that we could nerd out. And I believe that that's probably what informed your decision to really run with NLP versus other modalities. But listen to Marsha's story, everyone. And Take a page. Like, don't wait till you're in a crisis to change. Like, you have a choice right now. It's difficult. It's hard. You're working against inertia, but it can be really empowering and get you so much further faster versus digging yourself out of a hole because you've waited and are now in a crisis and have no other choice. So, is that that's an assumption, but is that the reason you feel like over all the other modalities, NLP was the one for you because of? how helpful it can be regarding like trauma and the subconscious and the body or are there other reasons i think that's a that's the big reason and also understanding that you know our mind our conscious mind is only responsible for 5% of what we're doing so you can you can build the most beautiful vision board and write your affirmations down and set your goals up on your calendar which is amazing but if you're not incorporating the 95%, like I actually kind of want to figure out a way at 53, how can I work smarter and not harder? I know what burnout feels like. Done it twice a year for my entire life. I know. I don't want to live that way anymore. And it's building a new belief system that can I build a business that is sustainable, that's in alignment, that actually, what if it surpass what I used to do? Like you start asking yourself different questions. That's the power of the subconscious mind. So it's like, why would I not learn how to use my 95%? Because it's exhausting to use only the five. The 95 is where all, like all those old beliefs live. So I feel like it's powerful for anyone, anyone who has especially if you've walked through trauma, 100%, especially if you walk through trauma, you have to find a way to understand and see your body in the sense that it's only been doing what its job is. The subconscious mind's number one job is to keep you safe. The number one job over top of anything else. And what that means, if you're listening, is, is that you will have one small trauma 
big trauma, whatever you want to call it. And please don't compare your traumas and say it's not, it doesn't matter. It's all relative to us. You have one trauma, your body almost sections off a part of you and is like, that's not safe. We never go there again. And then it comes up every day in some way, shape or form to the surface, almost for you to face it. Because the other job, it's your subconscious mind's got like 20 different jobs, but the other job is it brings it to the forefront because it's saying, can we just stop carrying this, please? Can we just find a way to move through this? And so when you learn how to do this kind of work, what happens is I feel like you can actually lead yourself because you know yourself better. And when you know yourself better, it gets easier to say yes and no to the things that do support you. It gets easier to not judge yourself and be critical of yourself because you understand your mind and body has just been doing what it could to help you to survive. So I feel per I feel very passionate about it, obviously. These tools, they saved my life. I, I have no, I have no qualms of saying that whatsoever. And I know the difference that they have made in my health, my relationships, my mindset, and my business. I have no problem saying that whatsoever. So I hope that answers your question. It does. And it makes me honestly like a little emotional because I truly feel the same way. I mean, if you guys have been following me for a while, you know that I'm vulnerable, but I also am a human and have the right to privacy. So I share um, intentionally. But I am literally an anomaly. I am Neo from the Matrix. I am not supposed to be here. This is 100% a result of therapy and coaching. And the fact that I can even say, you know, I'm worthy of love or I'm worthy of success or I am capable or I am a good person. Like those words, those thoughts, those beliefs were not even present in my brain until I was like 18, 19 when I started doing this work. And I am literally a different person. And I just really believe in these types of modalities. So with NLP in particular, we're talking, like you said, about that 95%. What do you think are some common subconscious stories that maybe newer coaches or entrepreneurs might be carrying that they became aware of and maybe use some of these techniques or just actually worked on more intentionally might actually help them get over the hump? Hmm. I think it comes down to some of the most common ones, like whether it is, um, I don't know enough, I'm not smart enough, I need more strategy, more training. Um, it has to come from outside of me. Um, they know something that I don't. Um, I'm dumb. I'm like, I seriously, these are some of the things I'm not qualified. Um, who am I to? Imposter syndrome. Those ones I think are huge. And if you really, really threw them all in a big pot and you boiled them down, you're going to get, I'm not worthy. It's like, if you put them all in, no matter what they are, they really boil down to not feeling enough, not feeling worthy enough. And you can say I am worthy and do all these things, but it's about getting to where the root of that story is. And that story, it might not be yours. It might be something, I mean, chances are really good it's not yours. It's it's come from something that you experienced probably up towards the age of eight. And it doesn't have to be a trauma. It's your interpretation of what you've heard, right? It's your interpretation of what you've heard. And then all of a sudden you've been 
internalized it and you've made it mean something. So those are a lot of the things, especially as you were trying to grow into something more. So this last year, you know, in the last year, I took my NLP trainers because I wanted to teach people these tools. In doing so, I crossed a lot of challenges, more challenges than I ever anticipated. I closed down most things in my business. And then I sat there with this many months of going, I don't know who I am anymore. Like my identity has changed. And when we create change at the identity level, it's very rocky for a while until we can really anchor in that new belief system. And so that all had to happen in order to build a foundation of like, no, Mark, you, you're a trainer. You can train these tools. You've spent time learning it. You have to build that belief up in yourself so that you can show up with that certainty and conviction and actually lead from the heart and show, like not talk, show <laughs> that you actually do know how to create those results for your clients. And so this past year, I had a moment where, I mean, I've, I've been published seven times. I had a moment where it was like, I, I want to do something with this, but who am I to actually help people publish books? Like, and I had these stories going into my head. And then I met with some of my closest people. And I'm like, I really want to help people to write and share their vulnerable stories. I think I want to create a mastermind to do it. And I don't know. Um, I don't know. What do you think? And they're like, oh, for the love of God, will you just do it? Like, you, like <laughs> how can you not see that? And I didn't see it. I didn't see it. So I put it out there. We had a lot of people join. And ironically, I've had four people say, so could I do the certification for coaching and write my book at the same time? And I'm like, huh, I didn't see that coming. That was a, because I hadn't built that belief muscle. I d hadn't built it. Now I'm actually leading with it, that it's an option. But that's what I'm talking about is that you, it takes time to build the belief in yourself. And sometimes you build that belief by stripping everything away and you feel like you are literally like walking across Niagara Falls on a tightrope going, what the hell am I doing? Like, what the hell am I doing? I don't have footing. I don't understand. And it's scary as hell because you have, you have to strip it all away to build belief in yourself, in your skill set in order to take that into your clients. Yeah. I love that you're saying that because I preach that from the, the mountaintops, like, Beliefs are built. Mm -hmm. They are literally built. All a belief is, is a thought that we've accepted as true. This comes and you keep repeating it. Like That's you repeat it. You see, you have the 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. 80 to 90% are, are repeat from the day before and 90% are negative. Yeah. So literally, if it feels like you have to do this work on yourself over and over and over, and I do, like if people saw how much work I'm doing, it would be a bit shocking. But I also recognize how often I'm thinking every day. So, of course, I need to keep working on these thoughts. And I heard something yesterday that stuck with me. And it's like a musician has to tune their instrument every single time before they use it. So if, if my son plays guitar, I'm listening to him tune it all the time. And I went, his guitar is sitting idle, so he tunes it before he uses it. My poor brain is out in the world being bombarded by all these thoughts and, and things that aren't even mine. No wonder it needs retuning all the time. So that I think is really important is recognizing that we're human beings changing all the time. And we have to do that work on ourselves before we can take that out to work with clients. 100%. In our environment, I don't think people pause to acknowledge how 
overstimulating and triggering it is. And every single day, the second we open our eyes, we are being triggered in one direction or another. And the fact that you still are doing work, ideally with consistency, it will get easier over time, but you still have to maintain it. Like it doesn't ever end. Do you mind sharing maybe like one or two like tangible tools or techniques or skills that you use to build beliefs or or manage those sticky ones that like to come up around worthiness? No, not at all. I actually have um, a couple of things on my phone where I've got my subliminals that I've created. Subliminals are where the messages are underneath the music and they're usually playing in the background while I'm working. I have um, a few different custom hypnosis that I've created. I have for myself, I listen to it before I go to sleep. I've got like the headband that actually has the Bluetooth so I can play it. Um, I will wake up and do that. When I'm feeling very jittery, I will do tapping. I will tap into those pieces. Um, there was something else there that is just, oh, what was the other thing? It'll come back to me. Those are the things that I do on a very regular basis. And then the other thing is, is that when the thoughts come up and they do just like, and actually I think just build a relationship to know they're going to come up, right? There's nothing wrong with you for them coming up. When I hear that, or I think it, I literally will stop and I'm like, well, that's interesting, Marcia. Where's that coming from? And I actually will, I used to resist it and shame myself for it. And now I'll pull a little bit of a Mel Robbins trick where I call it a different name. It's like, oh, Sally, <laughs> thanks for your help, Sally. But I actually, I'm good. Like, I'm good. I'm, I know your job is to keep me safe, but I'm actually good. And I've got this. So I will separate and compartmentalize it, not judge myself. And then I literally will stop and say, is that true? Like, is that thought true? And I'm like, I don't know. I just, and I stop and go, okay, where's evidence that I have in my life that it's not true? And I literally will sit down and write down the evidence of where it's not true. And then it's like, okay, how can I now rewrite that in a new empowering way? And how can I build the belief in myself that that's real? So I take myself through those four steps when those thoughts come up. And I think most people would laugh to find out that they come up every single day. And if you're growing, and I've, like I said, I've dropped everything. I've built a whole new business stream this past year. Of course, there's doubt. Of course, there is. And the, the belief isn't there. So I've had to double down a lot of those things to, in order to be able to hold and body and hold that growth and change. But as I watch things start to come together, I know the pause is really uncomfortable for a lot of people, especially if you're a high achiever, a type A person. There's so much power in the pause, so much power in the pause. And when you do that, now you're in a space that you can actually hold those containers and support those people. I can share, if it's okay, if I can share, I, we had our immersion and I had a whole plan made out of what we were going to do in our immersion for my coaching certification. It was like three days intense. And I had the, everything to the detail planned out. Got through part of the first day. The second day, first thing in the morning, one of the girls messages on Zoom and it's like, sorry, I have a crisis and I have to go. But she stayed on Zoom and I didn't know what was going on. And it, I come to find out within the hour, her she was at a friend's house for the immersion. Her house had caught on fire. She had to leave. The energy in the container was like intense because I had all these requirements of what we had to do. I literally sat and went, okay, the plan is gone. 
We don't need the plan right now. We have to be able to hold the space and container of these women who are navigating something very traumatic. And this beautiful soul stayed with us the whole time. She listened on Zoom. She thanked us for everything that we did to support her. The next day, she said, I'm really struggling. Rightfully so. Okay, rightfully so. Again, I said, are you open to coaching? She said, yes. And I said, are you open for me doing this in front of everyone? And she said, yes. And I mean this wholeheartedly. It was such a beautiful experience because I was able to take her through about four or five different techniques. It took us about 90 minutes to two hours. And it got to show everybody in the group that yes, you have a manual of tools, but you have better find a way to connect to what your client needs, not what you need. And it was one of the most beautiful, I get emotional when I even think about what the energy of that weekend was like. And it wasn't me, it was me holding space. I'm so grateful I learned how to trust myself because I just, the plan was gone and the plan didn't matter. It didn't matter. What mattered was holding this space. That's what can happen. And I know that a version of me a year ago would have really struggled with what's the right thing to do in this space. This version of me who had spent a year building up her belief in herself, I was exactly the person to do it. And I don't say that in a way. I, I really feel that wholeheartedly. And I'm so grateful for the way that it unfolded. So I just want to share that story because I haven't shared that really openly, um, but it's really powerful what can happen when you stop, slow down and build that belief in yourself because you're then going to be in a situation where it's like you are exactly the person to do it. Yeah. Because you've done because you've done the work, right? I think being caring and being supportive and being a good listener and providing a safe space is super duper important. Change can't happen unless people feel safe, like we talked about. And Marsha, I think the reason that you were able to do that so seamlessly and powerfully is because behind the scenes, you spent the time and invested in your skill set and becoming your best client. And you trust it yourself because you had a toolbox that you knew worked. Yes. Yes. I'm going to receive that and I'm going to say yes. I feel like I was able to take her through an experience that I've been doing for the last three years. Yeah. And it was, and it shows, yes, in these programs, you're going to learn a wealth of tools. You don't need to know every one of them. You need to listen to what your client needs. And I think that sums up go back to looping and how we talk about NLP, that sums up a lot of what you're saying here is this sense that you have to be able to listen to what your client needs. You that's That to me is the role of a coach. The coach is not to give you the answers. The coach is to ask the questions that can unlock what that client has held on to in their own subconscious mind so that you can get to the root of the issue, the root of the lack of the belief, so that you can help them to have results. You're literally a coach as a facilitator. You're a facilitator. You're not an answer giver. That is not what your job is. You're a facilitator. And if you don't know how to facilitate, it starts with building the toolbox, doing that work on yourself so that you can do it with your clients. Marsha, that's the snippet right there. <laughs> That's it right there. It just came out. I 100% agree with you. And I think that even though this industry, mind you, it's new and so it's okay, but I think we're moving in a direction where that is going to be the standard. That is going to be the new role of a coach. And that is going to be the foundation of the skill sets that are going to be taught and hopefully 
utilized across the board. You have a lot of resources. Uh, just so people know, Marsh has been talking about this certification. It is NLP heavy. It is a certification program. It is called Outspoken. She also has a podcast called Own Your Choices, Own Your Life with 600 plus episodes. So if you're vibing out with her, y'all can go binge. She also has a book called Everybody Holds a Story, um, as well as a couple other books. Where else can people find you, Marsha, if they're like, I need more of you and or I just want to support you or be in your corner of the internet? Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, I have loved this conversation and I'm saying there's so many downloads that have happened. So thank you so much for having me. It I've made it really easy. If you just go anywhere on Google or on any social media, it's Marsha Van W. It's literally, if you start typing that, it'll come up. And it, if you want to learn more, that's the podcast. I share a ton of stuff on much like you. I've listened to your podcast. It's, I love to provide tools for people when it comes to it. And I infuse personal stories and things. So I feel like that's where people get to know me the most is through the podcast. And we're also doing, I don't know when this is going to come out, but we are doing like an open house, like a, a little open house where it's a virtual open house. How can we take you through that story that you've been stuck on? How, what are the steps of, can I write a book? What does this look like? And then some EFT tapping, planting the goal, hypnosis, because I want people to give them almost this like charcuterie board of what is NLP. Because we don't know. We don't know. And again, a lot of what we're being exposed to, as we said earlier, I can find online right now, there's a $7 course for two days that people don't know what the difference is. So that's a lot of the work that I do. And you'll find me a lot of time I'm podcasting and I'm sharing and sharing stories. Yeah, I love that. Um, I was actually on the podcast. So you guys go check out that um, conversation. We dove deep on trauma. So like good. for an hour, it was so good. So definitely check that out and um, check out her certification because there is a lot of noise out there and be mindful to not make decisions based on good marketing, but make decisions based on quality of information and space and facilitation, because not only are you buying the techniques, but you're buying that person, that influence. And you want to make sure that that person is leading by example, not just regurgitating information that they're not utilizing or truly understand, because this stuff is powerful. And seven out of 10 clients have a trauma history, and we don't want to be opening Pandora's box and not be skilled enough to handle it. Couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. I mean, no matter where you go, what you take or what you do, it's going to be really hard to come across people who have not experienced some level of trauma, even if they don't identify it as trauma, it's there. And it's how can we best support each other because we can all like move through and, and like create change in our life. It's It's incredibly important to have the skills to do so. 100%. I could talk to you all day. We literally probably talked for an hour before we even hit record. Um, so thank you so much for being on the podcast and helping me celebrate 100 hep episodes um, and just offering your knowledge and adding value. And um, I hope you guys listening found this episode helpful as well. Feel free to go follow Marsha, send her some support. And as always, encourage you to leave a review for our podcast to help us grow so that people are getting this information um, and getting quality and valuable resources that they can use to change their lives. I'll see you guys next week with another coach interview. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. If you love this episode, I invite you to tag me on social media with your takeaways or share it with a friend. 
Please, if you feel called, take 30 seconds to leave a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. Until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.